0: It's Wednesday, and here at Criminal Minded Media, it's pop culture programming with an edge. First up, The Real Sopranos, executive produced by Armand Asante. You know, back in the day, old school mafia guys preferred to stay out of the papers, out of the limelight. We all know now that it's changed dramatically in more ways than one. Organized crime has always been catnip to savvy crime reporters. And as the years have progressed with the proliferation of rats, the storytelling has gotten more nuanced and more in depth. Former New York Daily News reporter Greg Smith spent years reporting on organized crime. And in 2003, he published a wide ranging book on the Calvacante clan and their hijinks. Here is Greg on his book Made Men and his experience covering all the colorful characters of the family.
1: It was, the decision to write the book was I'm sitting in Southern District in a magistrate's courtroom, uh, and in the federal system they do bail hearings where they present stuff that's not in the complaint and they go in and they argue risk of flight or danger to community and for whatever reason the prosecutor uh, comes in and he starts playing some of the tapes now the deal with this case is that it's based on thousands of hours of tapes just like crazy amount of recording that took place And one of the snippets that he plays is these guys sitting there, going, "Oh yeah, yeah, I was watching that show. And that's Joey, and that's Paul, that's Vinny, that's Tommy." And you know, they're like walking through the specific characters. The members of the DeCavalcante family are walking through characters on The Sopranos, pointing out that so and so is so and so, and so and so and so. -so.
0: It's a learned behavior. Just like a kid. You don't know of racism until somebody teaches it to you. So it's the same thing going to the police department, because a person coming into law enforcement, you don't know how to get away with stuff.
1: somebody got to teach that to you.
0: And that's the problem right now, because all the leadership.
1: So anyway, I went and I got all of the tapes uh, and listened to all of them. But what's weird about them is that they're supposed to, there's this whole, there's this rule with the feds, that if you start talking about shit about your family or your... <coughs> what you watch on TV, they're supposed to have what they call minimize. Sure. <laughs> Which means they're supposed to turn it off. But they never did. So they're just like... You got hours of these guys, and they talk, they talk about this show a lot. And they... And they talk about specific people, being specific people. And specific places being there, places they go to, and specific incidents um, being related to shit that had happened to, you know, various, mostly old-timers. And, you know, it's not, the show, The Sparrow is not a mirror image of the DeCanty family, but it is absolutely, he, David Chase, or whatever his real name is, uh, mind that stuff, and he must have had access to the intelligence reports on it, which I also got. And y- you can just see the parallels; they're all over the place. Um, so, so that's it. And so, and so I, so I, I, listened to this recording, and, and I uh, had a conversation with my editors about it. And my wrote a little story about it. it; wasn't a big story. So there's some uh, agent. Um, Got in touch with me because of that story, and then I just wrote like wrote the book, and uh, it was uh, it was a lot of research because I had to spend a lot of time going through like what like ancient files of the well, be, uh family history, which um, come out of New Jersey, and uh, and then I had to listen to these hours and hours of tapes. New York is a city under siege, and law enforcement
0: appears powerless to stop it.
1: For us that lived it, it was out of control. There were
0: record numbers of murders, you know, into the thousands. We just forget just how unsafe things were. People knew that something needed to change. You
1: must reaffirm the rule of law. And that gave rise to the era of mass incarceration. This is what I was probably say. 'Cause I had been covering the mafia for I don't know, like two years before that. And what I was finding was that more and more these guys were like beginning to buy into the myth. Like they, they all watched these movies. Sure. And then they began to they began to imitate the movies. And it was it almost became like art became real life. And that's what I that's what that whole book was supposed to be about. It was just, just trying to show how these things kind of come together.
0: The interesting dichotomy of the de Calvacante crime family was their origins were steeped in Mafia traditions. And Sam the Plumber was a gangster's gangster, a man with a pristine reputation.
1: He comes from a different time zone. You know, I mean he just he just comes out of the fifties, really. I mean he's you know um, the, uh, what was it Appalachian? That whole thing. It, mm-hmm. He comes from that world where, like, Omerta actually is a real thing, and it really, it really was a real thing at some point. But then, of course, it, it, it all changed. But um, it's so, so. You get so. What you have with the evolution of this family is that it goes from this really old school guy who uh, was relatively sophisticated about making alliances with other families so, so as not to, like, have to, you know, retire uh, involuntarily. And um, he basically, you know, brought in some some people to replace him who were not like that, ultimately. And, and they, in turn, brought in people who were totally not like that, who were just total fuck-ups. Like, by the time you get to Ralphie, I mean, how is Ralphie, uh, what is he doing there, you know? And uh, that, that's what, so you see this, like, this total de-evolution of that family from really old school to the fucking Three Stooges.
0: In Made Men, Greg Smith spends a lot of time reporting on a character that many have speculated was the inspiration for Tony Soprano. And that gangster's name... Was Vinny Ocean?
1: Well, I mean, the, the most, in, the most to me, the most interesting thing about Vinny Ocean is that when Vinny Ocean figures out that there's a rat in the family, he immediately goes out and buys recording equipment and begins to try to figure out how he's going to get out of this situation. And then when the indictments come down, he's he knows they're coming down because they had a they had somebody in the I think somebody in Eastern District, uh, in, the, in one of, either the U.S. Attorney's office or the Clerk's office, somebody had told him, so he knew right from like before he was actually arrested that he was going to be arrested, and he immediately flipped. And so, I mean, Vinny's basically like a, and he, he's also another guy who's, who's, like a, he's in a way he's kind of an entrepreneur. He, he, if he hadn't done this, he probably would have been a successful businessman. In fact, I believe he is a successful businessman right now. He is a he runs strip clubs in uh, Houston, and still does. Still,
0: I, I've heard Express. that, and, and I know no, he does. that you know, he does. So, so sort of runs the show in in Houston, which is amazing. With some of these guys, right? I mean, how he's even out on the street is kind of a I don't know. It's another <laughs> and, uh, bizarre does a bizarre way of how this this world works, and do you think that, like they say, that maybe he was the inspiration for Tony Soprano?
1: No, no way. No way. I don't know who the inspiration for Tony Soprano was. I, it strikes me that Tony Soprano is just a completely made-up character. Now, I'm, I haven't seen this prequel thing that they're doing, so who knows what they're going to do with that. But hes he just seems to be, he also seems to be kind of an amalgamation of a several different gangsters. But, I mean, he's not... He's certainly not John Gotti. Obviously, he's not Vincent Uh And he's... And, like, some of the other guys, like Gaspipe Pipe Casso, people like that, they're just... I don't know. They're, they're too unstable. They're, and, and the... Tony the, uh, Soprano is, like, this, relatively speaking, stable guy. <laughs> I mean, he's, you know, he's a sociopath, but they all are. But um, I just... know I... No, I Vinny actually, Vinny is, uh, with the exception of uh, shooting that guy in the face in uh, Staten Island, I don't. I think he managed to not do a lot of that shit over the years. He had other people do it for him.
0: What would the mafia be without strip clubs? And in the world of the New Jersey mafia, it actually was a strip club in Queens, New York, that Vinny Ocean owned, called Wiggles. That was the source of many legendary stories the club generated so much cash for the family that it was called Vinnie Ocean's ATM
1: well sure I mean that was the time when uh, Giuliani was um, basically on a tear of quality of life I mean that's kind of the beginning of Broken Windows and all that stuff and it was a Politically, it was a really great issue for him, because if you go after some strip club in a neighborhood, that's pretty residential. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever been over there, but that's like a pretty really residential and somewhat affluent area. And here's a strip club in the middle of it. It was a great target for Giuliani. It was a perfect target. And to have him... Uh, you know, Vinny behind the scenes of the thing, and it, what's what's kind of interesting is that during the entire time that Giuliani was going after Wiggles, they never they never said outright that that was a mob-controlled place, uh, and it was just one of those like it was very very much a, um, a Giuliani thing, like he, like he used Wiggles for his own purposes, and you know he ultimately won that, like, unlike most of the cases that, where he was being sued on First Amendment grounds, because he was not really uh, up on the First Amendment, Giuliani won that one. And the reason he won it is because he didn't say you have to shut it down. He, uh, he, like We're not going to just shut down strip clubs. He said, we're going to make you move. And he moved them to, like, underneath the Gowanus Expressway and stuff like that, and in the Bronx, to under under the Bruckner, and places like that to get them out of the neighborhoods and so there were no first amendment violations so it was a very it was a very clever uh argument that went on there but what was really interesting to me is that during the entire time vinnie ocean never never was mentioned until you know years later
0: in many mafia tales there usually is a defining event that alters the narrative of the crime family it usually is some hair-brained criminal scheme that slowly falls apart and leaves the family not only searching for answers, but infiltrated with criminal informants. For the D. Cavicante crime family, that was the January 13th, 1998 robbery inside the World Trade Center in downtown Manhattan. Three criminal stooges tried to rob the Bank of America exturi- three criminal stooges tried to rob the Bank of America currency exchange location. Led by Ralphie Guarino, the caper was soon plastered all over New York news. And Ralphie was in cuffs with the FBI. Facing a long prison sentence, Ralphie started working with the FBI as a stool pigeon. That's
1: Ralphie. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what starts the whole thing because they jam up Ralphie in that thing because these idiots go in there. They they go up to the whatever floor it was. They take this money. They have on hats and masks, but they're not geniuses. And I guess it's, it's warm in there. They take the hat off. And anyway, they're looking right in the security camera. Within, a, you know, a day, they're on the front page of the Daily News. And then um, in Farrell's bar in... Our, slope Everybody's going. Hey, look, look at this. You know, here's, you know, here's so and so, and here's so and so, right on the front page, and they're picked up like instantly, and that's what that's what starts the whole problem for the De Cavalcanti family, because Ralphie then flips because he, he doesn't want to go to jail, and so he he agrees to wear a wire, and then he wears a wire for quite a while, in recording like all of these guys, and none of them uh, have. Um, the ability to keep their mouth shut. And that's, that's really, in a sense, that World Trade Center thing, that ridiculous uh, heist that wasn't, it is, was the beginning of the end of it. the Cavalcanti thing.
0: Ralphie Guarino wore a wire inside the crime family for close to two years, recording thousands of hours of conversations. These conversations were made available to Greg Smith, who took the time to listen to all of them for the research of his book.
1: They're full of shit half the time. So they're just sitting there going, bullshitting back and forth. Like I said, it's very, they're weird types because usually the FBI doesn't do that. Like the Gotti tapes are not like that. They're like very specific. They would turn the thing off a lot, and then they turn it back on. And this thing, they just let it run. And so you get hours and hours of these guys you know, talking about you know what 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 they're going to have for dinner, and you know, and and, uh, and and like how the hotel is overcharging them, and you know, shit like that. And then and then they start talking about The Sopranos, and uh, and it's, so and, and, and hours and hours is, is I, I don't know the actual number, but it, it was it was uh, I mean Ralphie was out there wearing a wire for at least a year, so do the math.
0: The old school mafia abided by rules and regulations, but as the years have gone on, the gangsters have taken on a little more of a selfish attitude. This thing of ours has really turned into this thing of mine. So when Vinny Ocean found out the feds had the dirt on him, he did the only thing he could do to save himself. And that was turning government informant and heading to the witness protection program. So he
1: figured out that there was an informant in the family. I think uh, probably a, maybe a couple of weeks or maybe even a month before the indictment came down and all the arrests happened. And once that happened, he actually goes out and he buys a wire to see. He potentially he was going to start recording people, and at any rate. Before he got to the point of doing that, he was arrested. And within uh, a week, he had reached out to the Southern District and said, I'm interested in coming in. And they assigned him to an attorney who does that kind of thing, uh, who had worked with Anthony uh, Casso. And that's what happened. And, and he then, you know, spent hours and hours sitting in rooms with FBI agents going through his entire life story.
0: the Ocean spilled the beans and started his second life as a strip club owner in Houston, Texas. Making enough money to yet again own a lavish mansion.
1: There were some issues at, the, at his club, uh, which is not called Wiggles, but I don't remember what it's called. Jiggles. Thing. And uh, he um, he had some problems with the locals. Uh, the, you know, like I think there, it had something to do with liquor. Like he wasn't supposed to sell certain kinds of liquor, maybe just beer and wine or whatever it was. It was a regulatory thing. It wasn't any. There was no mafia thing going on down there, but it was just you now. <laughs> here's this guy who's supposedly in the witness protection program owning this club and then getting jammed up for it and then people figuring out who he is. So that's what happened. Now. But at the end of the day, as far as I know, nothing came of it. He's, you know, still raking in the uh, the tips that uh, are generated at at, the, at his place. Who got the brunt of
0: the prosecution of this case? If it seems like Vinny was one of the top guys, um who was the like quote unquote big
1: fish of this if he was the one who ends up sorta of informing? There is there is no big fish. What this is is it's dismantling an entire family. That's what makes this thing different than the other ones. They dismantle the entire family. And that's uh, unusual. You know, usually they they get they get the capo and they get the couple of soldiers and 16 associates and the consigliere maybe uh and but they don't get everybody and this this thing they got everybody there's like there is the entire hierarchy of that family was uh arrested and went to jail indictments what the
0: fuck are you talking about are you sure about this oh
1: it ain't just my sauce in jersey half of new york moved to fort lauderdale
0: already uncle jr got anything you want to say about this
1: you guys see indictments under your bed at night right away you're ready to it. as far as i'm concerned it's just speculation.
0: It's Rumor. Better be safe than sorry, no? I say we ducked for a while.
1: And what are we going to do? Close shop? We can't do that.
0: Tony, what do you think? What the fuck you asking him for? I just... I just gave you the answer. Yeah, Junior's right. We're going to land now. It's open season. The fucking Albanians be living in our houses.
1: Fuck. Sure. I mean, I, 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 I'm very proud of that book, and I'll tell you why. Because it, it doesn't... It tries to go beyond the usual myth we were discussing about the myth of these guys and tries to get at the fact that they had become a cartoon version of themselves that was that's why I, I that's why I wrote the book. that's what I wanted to say and I ended up writing two more books after that but, the, but that book is is, is, is was making a point that I think needs to be made about the mafia that that there is this crazy like you know uh, godfather image of these guys that is just not real And that they had tried. Eventually, they began to adopt it and and try to become it. And that—that was the point of that book. And that's why I was—I am—I am very happy with that book. That was one of the, one of those experiences that was a lot of work. It was definitely a pain in the ass. Listening to all those hours of audio tape uh, was—was some time in my life I'll never get back. But it was the idea of it, behind it. Was, uh, I think, a pretty solid one. It hasn't it, been explored fully either. I don't think not, en- not enough people really understand uh, what happened to the American mafia and, and how movies did them in, basically. No, I covered every one of these freaking things. And I was there for most of the, there was a bunch of pleas. And then there was testimony. Vinny Ocean testified. And uh, uh, what was the other guy saying? Well, well, Ralphie testified, and uh, there was a guy, uh, Anthony Capo, it's the guy who like allegedly uh, stuck a fork in some guy's eye, he testified. So anyway, I sat and listened to, listen to that, all of that stuff. So so no, it wasn't just the court documents, and it wasn't just the, the tapes. It was, you know, spending a lot of time in courtrooms. I also actually tried to talk to Vinny and uh, that was a very amusing experience, by the way. <laughs> what, what, what happened? I went to his house in Houston, and I, we're sitting there waiting, but oh, we need to get a picture of him, and he had, like, a, <laughs> a beard now, and he, he looked basically the same, except he had a beard, and I come out, and he goes, I don't like that book. <laughs> he goes, I can help you write the, the book the right way. Why don't you talk to me? Why don't we have an agreement? And uh, and I said, well, you know, why don't you just explain to me about your your new life here? Like, what's it like now? How do you, you know, people? I think a lot of people know who you are and that you now are what your track record is. And and now, no, I can't do that. I can't. I gotta I gotta go. And then he just walked back up his drive. He had this really long driveway to a really big house. And uh, it was uh, kind. Of, that was kind of like the, to me. That was kind of the end of the. End of the story for me. After that one, after I wrote the story about uh, the Houston Strip Club, I, I was done with the the, the the real Sopranos. But it was it was uh, it was an amusing uh, journey. Let me put it that. Way. Did and and did Ralphie Garino have a second life, or that you were I don't aware? Know. Of? This I do not know. Ralphie Garino had really disappeared. I mean, I I looked for him too, and I could not find him. And, and my uh, my sources would not help me in any way in that regard, and he just and he I'm like I, like I asked through the FBI and through Southern District and everybody. Um, I want to. I'm writing this book. Can I talk to this guy? And not nothing. Radio silence. For all I know, the guy is back in Brooklyn.